Welcome to another episode of the Hired Guns Podcast, where the stakes are high and the morals are flexible. I'm your host, William, and with me, my co-host, Lois Griffin. Lois. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And this episode is brought to you in part by me not being stabbed by my very loving wife. You love her very much, I know. I do. So... One thing that we really wanted to cover was obviously the introductions and how we kind of got into the industry and everything. Um, I wanted to talk about not everyone that's in this industry comes from a military or law enforcement background. I know you actually have the military and actually a slight law enforcement background, correct? I do. Um, so for me, I was actually just kind of a kid that wanted to get into the industry and found my own way into it. And, and a lot of people have their own different path that, that leads them into this. And some people, you know, have similar backgrounds. And that's, that's a common thing that you'll see is everyone obviously has a security background getting into EP. It's, it's really hard to just jump straight to EP. Um, executive protection for those of you that are still new to this. For me personally, I wanted to do something that would be different every day. Uh, I wanted to do something that would allow me to travel possibly. So I kind of started looking into, you know, bodyguarding is what I was calling it when I was new. And you'll see a lot of people call it bodyguarding. And that's, you know, as you get into the industry, you realize that's just such an old, outdated term. Um, so I started off getting my guard card like most people. I did, you know, the 40 hours online and, and things like that. But what actually started it was I was in school for EMS, emergency medical services. I was getting my license. I was doing my courses. And I still needed to pay the bills somehow. So I was going to school for eight hours a day. And I needed something that was preferably graveyard shift to make money. And I don't know the exact statistic, but I'd say a lot of the uh, graveyard shift is security. A lot of places need to have security overnight. And I was working at hotels by Disneyland, which is one of the most disgusting places you'll ever work in your life if you're in security. Um, the hotels outside of the park are terrible, terrible places. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, I saw lots of terrible things there, but it was something that paid the bills. And I actually got really lucky. Um, I had superiors above me that were terrible at their job and were getting fired left and right. So I had a little bit of a management background, a little bit of office experience and my supervisor within like a month of me working there was already getting fired. So the owners of the company, you know, they'd seen my resume. They saw that I had some managerial, you know, running people making schedules. So they called me to take his place and I did. And I slowly worked my way up the ranks with that company. And that was really like my first introduction to security, but it was, you know, standing posts. It was walking around a hotel at night. Uh, the whole time, like I said, I was going to EMT school. And by the time I finished, I was already pretty high up in the company and I waited to pursue a career in medicine or emergency medicine, I should say. And I, uh, you know, was, was starting to work a little bit more accounts here and there. The company was pressing me to get my armed license. And I was like, oh, you know, the more licenses I have, the more useful I am. So slowly did that uh the company ended up not working out so well uh they lost some of their big clients they, they couldn't afford to pay me anymore 
So I switched to another company and there was a lot of the same thing, hotels, restaurants, um, warehouses. Do you remember what else that company did for construction sites? Construction sites. I think they did movie sets. Movie sets. The movie sets was a weird one. They rarely got those. And when they did, it was a mess. They got a couple like uh, they would get kickdowns from uh, one of the larger companies contracts that they didn't want or didn't have staffing in the area for they would pass them off to so this other company i slowly started working my way up and i was cherry picking what jobs i wanted to work you know things where i thought i'd meet people that would get me to my ultimate destination which was the ep field and it all kind of started actually was the owner called me and was like hey we have this detail coming up. We're guarding someone. Uh, he was still calling it bodyguarding. We're bodyguarding this uh, foreign celebrity. I need you to go get some vehicles from Enterprise and drop them off to the team working the job. And keep in mind, he was having me do some time off the clock, go rent these vehicles, put it on my credit card, all that. And I said, no, uh, the only way I'll do that is if you let me onto the job. And he's like, well, we already got a guy running it. He's pretty picky about his team. He already has the team. And I was like, well, if he already has the team, he can go with the vehicles. And the owner was not thrilled about that. But, you know, I was already in a position where he couldn't fire me over saying no to that. So like a day later, he calls me and was like, well, I think I can get you into it. You know, just go get the vehicles. And I was like, I don't want a thought that you could maybe get me into it, like get me into it or I'm not into this. And uh, he was like, okay, I got you. I'll, I'll get you on the position. And uh, I was on my way to Enterprise to go get uh, Escalade and like a 15-passenger van. And around that time, you were already building your name in the industry, right? Yeah. So I, uh, I, had, uh, I had joined the Marine Corps out of high school. And I separated after a little bit, le- a little bit shy of two years for a... Uh, torn ligament in my knee and I kind of putted around the film industry for a minute and I started working towards uh, law enforcement so I started the LAPD reserve program and then ultimately about the time I was ready to roll out um, which is when you are released to go out on patrol I got approved to do a contract uh, for what they call ATFP or anti-terrorism force protection, which is a really fancy way of saying gate guard <laughs> uh, in Kuwait. So uh, I took that contract and went to Kuwait. And then uh, after that contract, I went to Iraq on another contract. Uh, and then after Iraq, I went to Afghanistan. And when I came back, uh I, I intended to go to Israel next, but I had an injury in Afghanistan that made that a no-go. So I had to find a way here domestically to kind of put my skills to the to, to use. And so in order to do what I did overseas, I had to attend FLETC, which is the federal law enforcement training, uh, as well as uh, <clears throat> Worldwide Protective Services training, WIPS training, and I mean, a grocery list of other certifications. So at the time that I decided to start working domestically uh, in security, 
my whole my whole concept and con- and construct of close protection was based upon this federal standard. So I was very highly regimented in everything that I would be a part of. So would you say that your skills that you learned in close protection, working foreign, how did those translate stateside? Not great. <laughs> Not great um, initially. It, it takes a great deal of adaptation. You have to kind of modify and cherry pick the things that you're going to use because overseas in general, you know, um, the person that you're protecting understands that there is a bunch of Taliban that want nothing more than to kill them here domestically. They don't really want to sacrifice their comfort for safety. So it took a lot of, uh, a lot of patience and understanding and just having a willingness to look at things from different angles in order to find ways to apply that. But uh, point being, um, like the first EP job that I had, or close to first EP job that I had uh, here domestically was for a uh, foreign national family um, that was here for diplomatic reasons, um, heads of state specifically. And um, I met some good guys and they kind of got me plugged into their network and I was able to make uh, make more connections and make more work. But I really quickly found out that companies here treat their people like garbage, which shouldn't have been surprising because, I mean, overseas, the private contractor companies treat their people like garbage. But I wanted to do better. I felt like the majority of people look at security as like a job it's a mall cop thing it's a Paul Blart thing and the salary that people make to do those jobs is really painfully low the standards of training is ridiculously low and so those reputations and those assumptions are kind of you know they're kind of founded I mean there are some obviously security that deserve to be paid that little yeah, I mean the guy outside of Walmart. I don't really care too much about his wages, to be well, honest. No, a hundred percent, I agree with you. But I also think that the guy standing outside of Walmart should be doing a better job. Should be doing an actual job. One hundred percent, and thus earn and deserve a higher wage. You know, the biggest thing about California, because my I will admit my experience uh, in the security, not the EP, the security realm. Um, I have experience. I'm licensed in California, Texas. Uh, I've worked a couple other states as well. It's escaping me right now. But, like, I didn't do grunt work in other states. I actually did, like, the high threat stuff in other states. Um, but when you really look at security in California, observe and report, which that is no longer what the job is in California. Um, BSIS is super outdated on what it is that we're, you know, doing and stuff. But even when I worked at the hotels, you know, for example, uh, hotel industry actually saves itself a lot of money by cutting a lot of its night staff and having the security bring the towels to the room, which is absolutely not the fucking job. But, you know, they 
I've got a really great story about that later. <laughs> I, I was working New Year's Eve in downtown L.A. Um, I don't know if I can say the name of the hotel, but it rhymes with Pilton. <laughs> <laughs> one of the uh the really nice ones in downtown la you know 10 story building or whatever and it was new year's and this room had music blaring like i got a call to go shut the music off and i'm like coming up the elevator and i think the second the elevator doors open i just hear music blasting and I'm like, I'm Friday knocking on this door. Like, I'm like donkey kicking this fucking door to try and get someone to answer the door. And like a minute or two in, this dude answers the door, butt-ass naked, just erect cock <laughs> pointing right at me. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck? And he's like, oh, my bad. And he's like trying to cover himself with like a fucking hand towel, of course. That's all he can find. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, like, shut the fucking music down. Oh, yeah, my bad. I didn't realize. I, how, the, how do you not realize, like, dude, blasting the music as loud as he could? And I remember just getting back in the elevator, and I was like, minimum wage to do this. <laughs> and it really, that's, you know, I mean, telling someone to shut the music down, yeah, that kind of falls under the realm of security. Uh, staring at some dude's cock pointed right at my fucking belly button was not. Uh, and uh, but so um, erect cocks aside um, I started talking to some people that were like owners of companies or at high level positions within companies and I started trying to find ways that we could collaborate that I mean I had a skill set that was not very common and I had a budding network that was also you know not terribly common so I felt like if I could find the right person that would let me that would give me the room within their organization to operate that I could create a very fair and healthy vibrant business you know in that um it wasn't until I started working with you that I really got introduced to people like that. I'm not going to say their names because I haven't asked them yet, but like D, uh, Roger, uh, Victor, which obviously is a code, it's not his real name. All those guys, like those were the first guys that like, I was already, you know, semi-established in, in the industry and I'd already worked those really big jobs that we're going to talk about and everything. But it was when I really met them and they're like, let's go shooting sometime let's go drill like oh yeah i know guys that are filling you know positions right now let me make a call for you and i'll get you on a job like it wasn't until i really met the network that i feel like i mean i know i met a couple of them through you i also met a couple of them you know on other stuff but i met so many people in the industry that keep it so like close to the chest you know, the five-man team needs to get filled, but they won't even fucking put your name in the hat for it. Like, they won't even tell you where to apply. And I'm like, the the owners of the industry, and it's definitely changed in, in the recent years, but, like, people were just keeping it so close and not wanting to share anything with anyone. And I, I just thought that was, like, standard. I was like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, high-paying jobs. 
Um, I had a stacked resume by the time I started getting into it, you know, licensed DMT, started getting my trauma cert, started getting, you know, my, my background in. And the EMT license, I 1,000% recommend that for anyone coming into the industry without law enforcement or military. So I've seen his resume. Stacked would be like saying mm. Cameron Diaz has big tits. <laughs> It, it was, it, you know what? Okay, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. It, it, was, it was stacked for where I came from. I wasn't military. I wasn't law enforcement. But I started getting the right trainings. I started getting the right classes. I started working for the right people. I had the experience because of, you know, the jobs that I, that I nudged my way into and everything. So maybe I didn't have a stacked resume as I was starting. But as far as someone coming into the EP industry without, you know, the keystone law enforcement or military... I was one of the top candidates. Um, I always used to like to say, as far as the middle tier went, I was top of my class. You know, they're obviously the tier one guys and everything that are going to blow me out of the water. I wasn't applying for contracts like that. But for anything that was mid-tier, I was one of the most qualified people on the job. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair. But I also think that it's important just for the perspective of honesty to point out that despite the fact that you did have your EMT cert, you also went to the ER for a bee sting and took your kid to the ER because he had a freaking diaper rash. So first of all, my wife's going to hate me on this one. Oh, God. The diaper rash thing, that was bleeding. Too far. I'm not, I'm not going to go into that one because I'm just going to get an earful. The bee sting, so obviously we don't have video here. Uh, I have about... Uh, 10 inch scar that runs along my arm. I had a compound fracture. The bone came out. It had to get repaired. I got stung on my keloid scar from my compound fracture and the entire keloid had an allergic reaction, started swelling. The skin was stretching. It was getting really bad. Actually, I did not go to the emergency room. I went to urgent care because I was just worried that I'd never seen that happen before. And in all of my history of emergency medicine, of working all of that, I never once had been covered on allergic reactions on keloids. So I didn't know what was going on, if it was normal or not. That was why I went to urgent care, where I was actually given steroids and told that if I hadn't gone, the reaction probably would have lasted about a week. And so when you got to urgent care and you text me, I told you, sounds like you need prednisone. I got prednisone. And what do they give you? I got prednisone. Yeah, gotcha. I, I, I did not uh, know how to get prednisone over the counter, and uh, you're such a dickbag for bringing this up. I'm going to get such an earful for this later. So back to the point of people in the industry, the wrong people in the industry are going to keep everything away from you. When you start working with the right people in the industry, they're going to introduce you to the right people. They're going to introduce you to the right place. Um, you know, even with our company, we tell all of our workers, even if it's not working for us, we'll make sure that you stay employed through COVID. You know, our workers were still working full time. Uh, some of them we did have to send to other people on other jobs to do things. But, you know, that's really what it's about is, is just keeping the industry alive, keeping it healthy, keeping the right people employed. Um, there, there is a lot of nepotism. There is a lot of favoritism. You are going to see a lot of guys that shouldn't be in the industry anymore but they just you know they know the right people and they still get hired for the wrong jobs for them um it happens all too often and that's really what i was going into was that 
you know, when I started running with you and some of the other guys that we mutually know, you know, that's when I really started to see the love in the people that are willing to, you know, bring someone up and teach them. You know, you guys definitely taught me a lot of what I know. And, and it was from that that I was able to grow even bigger in the industry. Yeah. And so but th- that was my whole objective. And so at the time that Will was trying to get the uh, Escalade in the pass van, I was trying to create some sort of positive influence over this company. And for leverage, I brought them a EP contract for a pop star from like Korea. No, he's from China. Well, he's he's famous in a different place than he's from. And I, don't, I can't remember if he was from no, Korea from, and famous in China. He was from China. China. He was from China. Mm-hmm doing a promo for a Korean social media app, oh. but we got the job through a Japanese company. No, no, the, 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 the company we got the job through was based in Shanghai. Sorry, sorry, no, no. Was, there's something about Japan with that contract. The, the, there, it was confusing. It was so convoluted. Yeah, but, um, but anyways, so I, I had this contract, I brought it to the table, said, hey, you know, let me show you my value. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring you this contract. I'm going to give you a team of solid guys. We're going to make a good name for ourselves here. And we're going to start building the EP side of this brand. So uh, we locked in the contract and I told the owner of the company what it is that I needed. Uh, in relation to this point of the story, it was specifically an Escalade <laughs> and a pass van. I'm really hoping people are catching the foreshadowing here. <laughs> <laughs> So at the same time, <laughs> the company I was working for called me and they really needed an Escalade in a 15-passenger van. Uh, so the owner of the company calls me and he says, hey, you know, I know you have a team picked out, but I've got this guy and you know, I want to put him on it. And I asked the owner, I said, you know, um, I already have a team ready to go. But, you know, if you want me to put one of your guys on it, you know, I'll respect that. But, like, I have my team, and my team is good to go. And uh, I wanted to, you know, make a good impression and show the owner that I was a team player. So, you know, I agreed to bring on his guy. Who he assured you was well. Yeah, I asked him, I said, you know, does he know what he's doing? Has he done this before? And the owner who is uh, presumably Russian or Ukrainian or... (laughs) So, did, did, he's he's from the part of Europe that you don't trust, <laughs> and uh, he told me, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know he's done this stuff a lot. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's very experienced, very good." So I said, "Okay." So we go to uh, pick up the client from the airport, and uh, I link up uh, with the pass van. We're picking up the client and his like entourage and all the production people. I just want to say really quickly, for those of you that have not worked your first job yet, um, sometimes you just get softballed the greatest things in the world, like 10 hour minimums. (laughs) Now, it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. At a minimum, you are getting paid 10 hours. Obviously, if you work more, you'll get paid more. But if you work 30 minutes, you're getting paid 10 hours. Now, this was one of those contracts, 10-hour minimums. 
uh, I get the call. I obviously picked up the vans, the vehicles, and they said, we're going to go pick up the client from the airport and take them to the hotel. Now, me being young, dumb, and ready to go, I'm like, okay, we're going to go take them to the hotel, and then I'm going to sit outside this room for nine more hours. <laughs> so I come just ready to be awake. And, uh, I, and for those of you that still haven't caught on, the job I got started on was the job that Peter brought to this company. And uh, we met at like a parking lot outside the hotel. Cause we left our regular vehicles there. Uh, it was, was it outside the hotel or outside LAX? Well, we met outside the hotel. We oh, left gotcha. our vehicles there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it was me, you, and one more. No, no, for the, for the airport pickup, it was just me and you. Yeah, the client went in the 15-passenger van. So we left the Escalade in the parking lot, and mm-hmm. me and Peter were in the 15-passenger. Uh, so we pull up to LAX, ready to go. And uh, we, I wait you know, at the pickup station, and Peter goes inside and wrangles this group. And it was like 12, 13 people, camera gear, all of that. The client, his translator, his makeup artist, uh, and everyone else that was there. And we load them into the vehicle, and now it's time to go to the hotel. Well, so to, to rewind a little bit, so Will's driving the pass van, and LAX is kind of a, a shit show on a good day. Um, it's not like they rolled into, uh, you know, one of the private strips, like they came in commercial, and it was a pain. But so Will's in the pass van, and I tell him, look, like, I'm going to hit you when it's time to like roll up. So just make sure that you're poised that when I give you the word, you pull up right out in front of the terminal and we can load and go. So I go inside and I get everybody gathered and all the luggage gathered and we move. And I let Will know that we're on the move and he rolls up like clockwork, meets his curbside and it's smooth. And I'm thinking, okay. This guy's fucking done it. Yeah, I'm like, this, this guy's done it. This guy's on it. Like we're, we're golden. Good choice, easy day. And we load up the we load up the van and we start heading out of the airport. And uh, Will's got his GPS set up like in the cup holder or cup holder. Was it in the cup holder or the cup holder area? It was. It, there was no mount. Yeah, it, I, was, it was like it was. It was resting in the center section of the van. And uh, he's watching the GPS and he's driving. And keep in mind, like when I planned this op, like. I told him at what temperature to have the car. Like I, I told him I had everything like AC down to was a perfect. <laughs> and uh, he turns to me and he goes, shit, I think I missed the exit. I looped right back to Terminal 1. <laughs> and for those of you that have been to LAX, it's confusing. It's you got to go to the right to get out. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't got an excuse. I uh I looped back to Terminal 1. So here's uh, here's one of those hired guns exclusive tips. If you ever miss your turn, do not exclaim that you missed your turn. The client doesn't know. They're not from the area. Keep driving. Act like it was on purpose. Do not admit that you have no idea where you're going or what you're doing because you were hired specifically to know where you're going and what I, you're doing. I looked right over to you and was like, fuck, I think I was supposed to get off there. I think I'm going back into the terminal. Like, I, dude, I just, diarrhea of the mouth was like, 
oh, fuck, what do I do? I think I even said, what do I do? And you're like, make a left again, dude. Like, just get out of the terminal. Oh, okay, I got this. I got this. And uh, again, LAX shit show on a good day. Uh, I did eventually get out of the terminal. I, I did get on the freeway. Uh, we were in Century City or something. We were one of those cities right there outside of LAX. And it was maybe a 20-minute drive. Uh, so we get the client to the hotel. We drop them off help them unload everything, you know, get them all together. We get checked in the hotel and I'm over here looking around like, okay, sweet. Now we stand outside the door, right? Like, where are we going today? And the client was so jet lagged and so over life. They're like, we're going to sleep. We'll see you guys tomorrow. I was like, oh, that's it. Like, fuck yeah. And, uh, that was where 10 hour minimums became my best friend because I think all in all, you know, picking up the vehicles, going to there. I think we worked maybe two hours that day and we got 10 hour pay. It was great pay. I mean, even to my standards today, it was great pay. It was no, it was a good contract. And I went home and I went ballistic yelling and screaming about how <laughs> the owner of this company stuck me with the world's biggest freaking moron. So we actually had an even bigger moron than me on that job. Uh, so that day it was just us two. And then I think we were like, I'm just going to throw out there for the, the listeners. I'm drinking and I have to pee. Continue <laughs> with this story. So we had uh, two other agents with us that uh, Peter obviously brought on. One of them we're going to call Sierra, which is not the same Sierra from all these other terrible stories you're going to hear. Uh, and then we had another one that was a female LAPD sex crimes detective who did EP work on the side, which you'll see, you know, pretty common. A lot of law enforcement people will blend into that sector. And the second day, uh, like we talked about, it was a Chinese celebrity who was doing a music video for a Korean company. And it was recording, uh, like the video, not the audio, it was just the video that day. So we come back in the second day and the client lets us know that we're going to be recording in Venice Beach and, and like a lot of touristy areas in L.A. where, you know, people take pictures up against the walls and stuff like that. So... We kind of have everything mapped out. It's all four of us that day, me, Peter, Sierra, and the law enforcement officer who I cannot remember her name. Uh, so the four of us meet up at the hotel. Uh, Peter is driving his vehicle. I'm driving the 15 passenger van with Sierra and the client is being driven by the law enforcement officer that was working the job with us. And the first place that we go is Venice Beach. Now, keep in mind, this isn't a super high threat client. It's, he was actually underage. He was like 16, 17, uh, Chinese celebrity. And we were kind of wonder. I was super wondering, why did we require such a heavy team? Well, I had a conversation with the client, with the production company, essentially. Um, about the actual security risk. And I told them my opinion, which was that this is LA. P 
people are used to seeing celebrities and they're used to seeing the American A-list celebrities. The likelihood that someone is going to recognize this kid is minimal. Unless someone from this guy's management staff, his agent, calls the press and tells them where he's going to be so that they can come and swarm. Which they assured us was not the case. Yeah, they swore up and down that's not going to happen, not going to be an issue. Which is entirely a lie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So we get to Venice Beach, and uh, we parked on one of, like, the side streets that leads into Venice. And I, I remember we got really good parking. We we actually got really lucky. We got like like two cars down parking, and he hadn't even made it across like the walkway towards the sand, and there was a bunch of people waiting for us. But it was like fourteen year old Korean girls. It wasn't like high threat. It was just volume more than anything. Uh, and they they immediately were just trying to get pictures, and he was super, you know, whatever about it. Uh, he was used to it. He was like, oh yeah, take pictures, I guess, or whatever. And I remember we, like, walked up and down Venice getting pictures on, like, the sand. He was carrying those stuffed animals. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I, what, they were, like, logo, they were uh, not logos, but, like, characters for the app They were, something. like, mascots for the, I remember the lion. I don't remember why I remember the lion so much. That was He had, like, four stuffed animals that he was carrying everywhere. And at first I was like, this dude stuffs stuffed animals? But I guess there was, like, part of the promo. Um so he was, you know, immediately swarmed, and, and it was it wasn't that bad. We, you know, crowd control is pretty good. Uh, we got some shots on Venice Beach, and then we went to what's the name of that street we went to? Which one? The one where uh, there was the the picture on the wall that he wanted to take. I I think that street is uh, Fisherman's Wharf. <laughs> There's some name Wharf for it or something, or something like, like that. that. So there's an area in Venice Beach where it's a lot of boutique shops and stuff like that. And uh, there was this wall that had, like, wings on it that he wanted to take pictures in front of. And uh, this is where I found out that before Peter's military career, before the EP career, uh, Peter was actually in the WWE. <laughs> Peter has a wrestling career I that you guys that might time know. It was the WWF. WWF. Uh, yeah. Uh, Raw. Raw is war. I remember those. On so, TNT. TNT. This is where I saw Peter clothesline a homeless man <laughs> in the middle of Venice Beach. Uh, would you like to tell us about your amazing clothesline? So the client is doing his photo op and we are holding a soft perimeter. And there's a transient gentleman on a bicycle who is on the other side of the street. He sees us and he starts riding towards us. I shake my head and I wave my hands to wave him off. And he looks me dead in the eyes and he shakes his head no and he picks up speed. So I try and wave him off again. And he says no, and he keeps on coming. So at that point, I put both of my hands out to kind of do the universal perimeter wall thing. And I think maybe in his mind, he thought he had more mass than he did. Or maybe he thought that I had less mass than I did. But 
ultimately what happened was he rode his bicycle straight into my arm um, and his collarbone neck area met my forearm and he left his bicycle seat and his hat left his head and he came to a very abrupt stop. This is where I was like, it's all over. The cops are coming. Peter just beat up this homeless guy. Like, oh shit, it's all falling down. We're done. I was I was new. I was super new to the industry. Um, although my boss, Peter, you might not know this, and my boss did say I was very experienced. That was, the first, <laughs> <laughs> that was the first EP job I ever worked. I just got all of my, you know, exposed carry, all my firearm certs. Um, and I was like, oh, dear God, it's all crashing down. We're, we're going to jail. Peter just beat up this homeless guy. And I remember, like, I mean, I still moved. I knew what to do. I was like, okay, well, you know, help crowd control that people don't start, you know, crowding against us for beating up this homeless dude. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, all the, all the experience that you get in this industry is really what prepares you for the next thing that you see because none of the classroom stuff I did, none of that really set me up for what to do when your fellow agent clotheslines a homeless dude. Well, I mean, None of the classes I've taken, at least. Maybe, <laughs> maybe some of the classes you take have a fucking caveat for that. I mean, but I, I was, I was kind and professional to him afterwards. You know, I even picked up his hat for him. I'm a nice guy, but he he was very upset. He seemed to have difference of opinion on what the permit that we had entitled and what our presence on the sidewalk entitled, and um, you know, we had a difference of opinion and. That day, my opinion won. Yeah. And uh, I would say, just because it's somewhat recent, I would say if you haven't seen yet the uh, the California governor candidate, Larry Elders, uh, he was recently uh, accosted while um, walking through a street for a PR campaign with the media. And... Uh, that video's up on, I, pres I presume it's up on YouTube. I, I, I saw it linked from Twitter on Facebook. I just saw the caption for that video. I didn't watch the video. But now that you're bringing it up, I'm kind of under, does he like Stone Cold Stunner the guy? No, no. What, what happens is um, he's being pursued by a few people that are very upset with him. There's a female on a bicycle wearing a gorilla mask. Um, and for those of you not in California and not keeping up with our politics Larry Elders is black um, so the female on the bicycle rides up on him hard and throws something at him and somebody in um, his entourage I don't know if it was security or if it was a, a guy that's a part of his campaign but he was an older guy a little out of shape definitely didn't seem like he was you know secret service agent of the year um, walked up to her and said something or did something. I think he put his hand on her shoulder and she went like full Nicki Minaj, just full ratchet and just and swung and like teed off on the guy. And the situation just kind of got really ugly really fast. But really what um, you can see there and you watch the video 
is a lack of a perimeter, a lack of command presence, um, and it really exposed this candidate to a lot of harm. If they had wanted to do more harm to him, they very easily could have. Perfect opening. Yeah, it was it was a very soft target. Yeah, I mean, you know, a, a big thing about what we do in this industry, and you know, you you, you got the guys that come in gung ho, ready to start wild westing it is we're a deterrent a lot of the time you know you, you see the you see the perimeter set up you see the guys that are in the right place doing the right thing and you know 99 percent of the time people that want to do harm or do something bad will see us and realize i don't have the ability to or you know a lot of people uh i think it was uh the fbi that came out with a statistic for it that's like I remember it was like 95% of terror attacks that could have happened don't happen because people see a perimeter or they see security or something scares them from ever even getting involved with it. And that's uh, one of those things where you realize like, oh, someone might have came to an event that you were at this weekend wanting to do something nasty and they didn't because they saw, you know, a force that might stop them or they saw something that, you know, they might not make it out of there the way they intended to, and it really just never happens. Um, and that's, it really just kind of goes to, you know, the advance work and, and planning out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it is we're not here to be this massive, you know, hammer just crushing down on things. We're also here to be the shield and, and prevent it from, hap- from from ever even potentially happening by being, in, you know, doing your job right. A hundred percent. And... I'm trying to remember what actor it was. Um, Dude, David Spade. That's was not, it the, not one the David I was Spade. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there was. There's an actor. Um, he's like an A-list actor, and I, I, I can't remember who it was. What's the story? I feel like I know this. But he was not like super used to having a security detail with him, and. He was filming a movie overseas in like Europe and the studio had hired a body man for him. They hired an EP agent for him. And he was just this this big walking refrigerator of a man. And the actor was walking down a sidewalk, a public sidewalk. And there was a old guy in front of him. And the old guy was moving kind of slow. And so his, uh, this actor's EP agent stepped around and just like picked up this old man and moved him out of the way so the actor could continue on his path. And to the EP agent, like he thought that he was doing like the right thing by expediting his client's movement. But the client morally and ethically did not like that. And the optics on that are also very bad. So, you know, if you go into it with the mentality that you're just going to strong arm your way through every little thing, you're gonna, you're not gonna make it. No one's gonna like you. You're gonna create liability for your client. It's just 100% bad all the time. You have to know when and how to apply the pressure that's needed to solve the problem. So did you wake up that morning like, I'm totally in a clothesline a homeless dude today? Not at all. And I look at it kind of like... Uh, I saw you tear off a wristband and start <laughs> giving him the people's elbow dance. Well, you know, yeah. it's if you... Uh, 
uh, if, if you ever played basketball, um, there's something in basketball called a screen, which is where you're allowed to basically block a opposing player. But the rule is you can't be in motion to do it. You have to be standing statically. And if that player runs into you, they get charging. Then like that's on them. Yeah. But so your arm just happened to be there and he had he had very well advanced notice that my arms were there. I, it's not like I sprung it out on him last minute. My arms were there the entire time that he was making his way across the street. That's he fair. thought that my arm would move. It didn't. That's on him. So Peter Homelot, close lines of homeless dude. Uh, we make it out of that. We probably went to like one or two more places to record some scenes. And then we wrapped it up. I won't say it was like a six hour day too. They were all pretty short days. 10 hour minimum. <laughs> Still got paid 10 hours. Now, the third day, you weren't there. And I think to this day... I might not have told you some of these stories <laughs> and you're about to hear them for the first time. Um, the third day it was me and Sierra and that was the day we were in the recording studio. So less agents on hand because he was going to be indoors the whole time. They just wanted us outside the building and it was supposed to be, you know, pretty simple. We just sat outside the doors, you know, patrolled, checked in, made sure everything was cool. And, uh, at some point in the day, this 17-year-old kid uh, wanted a cigarette break. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Chinese like to fucking smoke. Everyone in that entourage had a cigarette the entire day. This kid was no stranger to that either. Um, we were in Westwood at some recording studio, and they tried to... Like, he really didn't want a security detail for some parts of it. They tried to go out like a side door. We, you know, we had eyes on it, so we saw him. So we started going after him on foot immediately. And there was a residence that was like a second story house. And the first story was a parking garage or like, you know, like a little pull in for, for his car. Now this kid and two people from his entourage are like inside the parking garage of this dude's house and they're lighting up cigarettes. Now, me and Sierra are walking up, making sure that everything's okay with them. And the owner of the residence, rightfully so, came out of his house and was like, who the fuck are these people smoking next to my car? But he came out super aggressive. He was, you know, 30-year-old cholo type. You know, we all know the type. And... uh <laughs> Sierra, in his infinite wisdom and experience of EP work, uh, was trying to reason with him, like, yo, chill, relax, it's all good. And the guy wasn't having it. And I just remember Sierra lifting his shirt and exposing his firearm to the guy. Like, it's good, and showing a gun. And it was like the clothesline all over again. <laughs> oh, God, it's all over. We're going to jail. Like, this dude's flashing guns at people. Now... For those of you that don't know, brandishing a firearm, it's a wobbler, but it can be a felony. Um, anyone with a gun should know you don't pull your gun out unless you're planning on using it. You know, that's it's not something that you just start flashing around like, oh, yeah, I have a gun. What's up? Um, and this agent who, by the way, had a far superior resume than me, way more experience, 
uh, military background, had been an EP for a lot longer. I mean, that's a fatal flaw. That's one of those things that you're opening your client to a ton of liability. Um, you're exposing yourself to a ton of liability. I mean, you're going to lose your licenses over that. Brandishing a firearm isn't a joke. It, that's not something that you that you should ever do like that. I mean, there's there's no situation where that's acceptable. It's 100% accurate. And, I mean, like you said, his resume was vastly superior to yours. I had worked with him before in the past. That's your guy. Yeah, my guy. Uh, he had recently just gotten a CCW. And... Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, when you first get a gun or the permit to carry a gun, it's a lot like as a child, the first time that you discover your penis, <laughs> you want to play with it. You want everybody else to see it. It's really cool. <laughs> it's a phase that most people grow out of. Sierra, we now refer to as Yosemite Sam. So, although most people grow out of it, not all people do. He's also shitbag Sierra, for those of you that we're going to hear that term a couple times throughout this show, because that guy has written the book on what not to do. Um, there's a lot of things that you should do in this industry. There's even more things that you shouldn't do. And shitbag Sierra is the role model of what not to do in this industry. Um, so he flashes his gun at this guy. The guy kind of calms down, obviously, because there's this huge stranger with a gun in his driveway. Um, you know, we get the client out of there. We get him back into the studio or, you know, a little bit more friendly terms. Um, they finish recording after a couple hours. Uh, and what happened next was we went to they wanted like authentic Chinese food, not Panda Express, which I thought it was authentic Chinese food. It's not authentic. It's better. <laughs> so we went to Westwood uh, by the mall to some, you know, restaurant. And they didn't even want us, like, tailing them in the restaurant. And I was like, oh, it's cool. We'll sit a couple tables away, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, the, the, the role or the, what should I say? The status quo of that weekend was we kept getting mobbed because they kept releasing where we'd be. But they knew that wasn't the case anymore. You know, they stopped releasing where we were going, so we weren't running into people anymore. And they just wanted to eat. They didn't want to be bothered. Uh, so they really were insistent on us not following them. And me being young and, you know, wanting to, you know, make a good impression and, and make up for the airport fiasco, I was like, it was me and Sierra. I'm like, we should, you know, sit a couple tables away or sit outside the restaurant. And he just wanted to go home. Uh, he was the agent in charge that day, so I kind of had to, listen to him about some of it. And I remember him saying like, oh no, like we'll just wait in the Vic for a little bit. And if they want us to go, we'll go. And I'm like, dude, like, you know, 10 hour minimum, you know, we can work a couple more hours before we hit 10. And they finished eating and they wanted to go see a movie next. And they're like, we'll catch an Uber home. And I'm like, you guys are paying for security and we have a Vic for you. Like, we'll wait outside, it's fine. We're not in a rush. And Sierra's like, fuck yeah, let's go home. And to me, that just, it didn't didn't reflect the kind of work that I wanted to offer. You know, I, I really wanted to always set the bar, always be the example, always be, you know, the best there. And he was just ready to go home. And, you know, what I, what I took home from that a lot was, yeah, there's always going to be someone with a better resume 
and yeah, you're, you might not be the most qualified on the job, but that doesn't mean that you can't be the best person there that day because, you know, I, I wasn't the best one on paper, but I was definitely the one that came that wanted to work, that cared about the product that we had, that cared about, you know, what we reflected onto the client about ourselves and the company. And really, you know, you're going to work with guys in the industry that are, I don't want to say over it because they're still there, but they don't care. You know, people don't care here. And it's it, it happens, you know, it's, it's not foreign to this industry either. No, that's, that's very true. And it also, it's representative of where they've come from in the industry. You know, there's, there's people that we work with that look at their, uh, look at their occupation, not as a job, not as a little paycheck, but as an actual career, you know, something with a future. And they take great pride in that. And there's also others that don't. There's those that are used to being abused by companies. Um, I would say most people don't start in this industry um, just looking to get over it. I'm sure there are some that fall into it because they just desperately need to make their rent money. But the majority of people that get into it are people that get into it because they have aspirations of law enforcement or uh, maybe the fire service. Um, and then there's, you know, veterans and people that have done this job overseas and they want to come back domestically and, and do the same task. I've never met someone that was a shitbag on their first day intentionally. I've met people that weren't ready to be there and they did bad, but, you know, they were full of energy and wanting to be better. But yeah, you don't really meet anyone their first day that just is like, fuck this. Like, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you don't end you up here people, accidentally. And so when you see people that are at that point that they just can't wait to cut out and go home, that's really representative of what their experience has been thus far. You know, what motivation they have because that's what they've been taught. That's what they've been exposed to. And that was one of the things that I wanted to combat. Uh, Sierra went on and he's doing good things uh, for himself. He's making a lot of good money. He started his own company. But uh, his company is not exactly breaking the mold of security companies mm -hmm. in the state. No, I mean, doing, he's making good well, money. They're doing My hat's really off well. to him. Good for him. But he's, he's also not... Well, they're He's not, not doing progressing EP. the field. They're not doing EP. Not not that I know of. Not that I ever heard of. No, I think they're, they're doing like some patrol stuff. Shirt stuff for work. Yeah. Well, I mean, good for him. He's making money. Hey, kudos. But, like, but he's not um, as you know. He's not doing what. Um, he's not creating a legacy that'll be remembered. <laughs> yeah. He is definitely you know, and and I, again, there's nothing wrong with starting somewhere. There's nothing wrong with being a Walmart guard. You know, there's a ton wrong with it. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with if that's the place you can get into to get your, you know, feet wet. But if you're a Walmart guard after working in security for 10 years. That's a problem. There's, there's a problem with that. Yeah, if you're, if you're a Walmart guard your first day, hey, man, honestly, that's one of those places that really teaches you, can you handle some of the more ludicrous bullshit you deal with in this industry? 
Well, and that's one of the things actually that I think people don't. Um, Do you ever work give Walmart? Enough. What was that? Did you ever work Walmart? No, I've never done loss prevention. Uh, I've done loss prevention at, I think, either the three letter one, or it might have been the, the 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 big competitor of them. Mm. And actually, it might have been both. To be honest with you, <laughs> same company different contracts um my first day at the three letter one was in downtown la it was like the only 24-hour location in in la or in downtown la yeah so it had massive transient problems it had uh, a tremendous amount of shoplifting stuff the three-letter pharmacy or the three-letter clothing line a three-letter pharmacy got it got it got it and uh i ended up uh, i think on my first day i tased like <laughs> three people like I ran out of cartridges. Like, um, speaking of tasers, like, 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 the, 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 like, genuinely, genuinely, the third time that I had to call PD, I said it's me again. <laughs> did I ever tell you about that time I tased my truck? No, you did not. Oh, uh, so we were working that Halloween event for that three-letter company that I used to work for. And uh, you know which Halloween event I'm talking about, right? At the yeah. park? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, I just got in the taser. And I was... Uh, the, the battery pack that I got with it was a little bit low battery. So I realized that pretty quickly on. I, I swapped out the batteries. So first day with the taser, I, uh, I'm excited. I'm not going to lie. And I'm of the opinion that if you're going to carry it, you should know what it does. You know, obviously, I'm not going to shoot myself with my firearm, but I'm like, well, I should know what a taser feels like. So one of the production people was actually active law enforcement. Super funny guy, tall guy like me, like six foot four, six foot five, uh, hated everyone. And we were making jokes and he's like, yeah, I'll tase you. Like, and I was like, well, let me tase you back. And he goes, yeah, sure. He had no intention to let me tase him other later. So uh, I took out the cartridge and I was like, yeah, you know, just again, I'm super green. This was really early in my career. I mean, this was not even EP. This was, you know, security. And I'm like, just just give me like a like a one second tase. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, nick you with it. Let you know what it feels like. Yeah. And I'm so, like, so, so you told him to do the drive stun. So you didn't deploy the. Yeah, yeah the no cartridge. cartridge. I, t I took the cartridge off my taser and I was like, hit me with a drive stun. Bro, that's nothing. It, well, so I'm like, give me like a one second tase. And he's like, okay, I got you. And I hand him over my taser and he immediately is like, are you ready? And I'm like, oh, no, you know, I'm still a little nervous. And he goes, okay, you're ready. And he puts the taser to me, pulls the trigger. And follows me to the floor <laughs> with the stun gun. And, like, I go down pretty quickly, and he's still tasing me. And it's not funny anymore for me. I mean, it's hilarious for him. And I totally recommend if any of your guys' friends let you tase them, fall on the ground. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, he tases the shit out of me and then hits the trigger a second time and gives me a couple more seconds on it. Uh, I'm on the floor. I'm obviously not thrilled about it. And uh, he hands me back the taser and goes, yeah, it works. And I go, okay, my turn to tase you. And he goes, you tase me, I shoot you. 
If he was serious, I know he was. <laughs> like, I hope he hears his podcast one day. He knows who he is. And uh, I fully believed that he would have shot me if I tased him. So, you know, I take my taser back and, and I load my cartridge. And then uh, I go back to my vehicle and I'm, you know, straightening out my uniform. And I, uh, I take off my cartridge and I, you know, dry fire just to make sure didn't kill too much of the battery. I still don't know, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it crackle crackles. It's, it's working. And I, uh, I put the cartridge back on the taser. And then for some reason, I was like, oh, I just want to try it one more time, you know, make sure it's still working. And I'm sitting in the door of my, I have the door of my truck open and I'm sitting like at the driver's seat and I pull the trigger on my taser and it was like one of those, everything slowed down. As soon as I pulled the trigger, I realized, oh, God, the cartridge is still on. And I put my hand to try and take off the cartridge before it, like, popped. Then I realized that probably wasn't a good idea. Then I realized the taser was pointed at my feet. So I just, like, lift my hand to just point it away from me. And it, it fires. The cartridge deploys. And one of the prongs landed, it went right through the door of my truck. The other one bounced off and missed my foot by like an inch, thank God. I, I mean, I deserved it. I'm not even gonna say thank God, I totally deserved it if it would have hit me. And uh, it just started popping and I didn't know what to do. So I was like, oh shit, the confetti flying everywhere. Um, for those of you who don't know, taser cartridges have serialized confetti inside of them. So when you fire, you know, pe the when PD comes and investigates, they can see and track it back to who bought it. Except they don't record the serial numbers. At all. At all. And the ones I had uh, were gifted to me from a military buddy who found a box in the back of a truck. Your Uncle Sam gave them to you. My Uncle Sam gave them to me. And, uh, yeah, so then I'm, like, sitting there, and it's still crackling, and I'm just, like, I finally found the off switch. And I looked around. Nobody noticed. I insider done it. tip: It's the same as the on switch. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, pulled that prong out of the door of my truck, and you know, with my foot, swept all that confetti under my truck, and was like, "I'm gonna park somewhere else today." <laughs> but yeah, that was the first time I uh, deployed a taser cartridge, and it was into the door of my truck. Not my proudest moment. I mean, it, it's definitely not your least proud moment, though. I feel like that's a double negative somehow. <laughs> not my least proud moment. Yeah, I'm working to figure that out. So we uh, we finish up the four, the third day. Uh, the fourth day was get them to the airport so they can fly out. Ten hour minimum. <laughs> we worked like two hours, called it a day. Um so, I mean, the biggest thing I took home from that job was, you know, your resume is not everything about your performance. You you have guys that are more qualified that just are less motivated to be there. You have guys that are, you know, ready to work and, and need the experience. Um, so, you know, I, I left that job. I, I'd, I'd known you before that through one of the other contracts, but I'd never met you, I don't think, even in person yet. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. And then uh, I remember, you know, you were super impressed with my day two, three, and four. Obviously, I know I made some mistakes on day one. 
and uh, you had an opening on another contract. You wouldn't tell me who it was for, and you just kept telling me if if you want it, you want it. If you don't, you don't. And I was like, well, you know, you you taught me a ton in in the time that I worked with you, and I was like, well, I'm you know, he's not going to steer me wrong. Um, he's obviously the only guy attached to this company that I'm working with that knows, you know, how to get into the industry. So I told you I was interested. You had me, you know, fill out all my applications and stuff. I filled out the NDA and the second EP job I ever worked was with you under you essentially. And it was for at the time and even still to this day, one of the biggest celebrities in the music industry. Um, Obviously, we can't say who it is, but yeah, for me, you know, coming into the industry with no experience, with a good resume for a guy that hasn't even broken the ice yet, um, the second job that I ever worked was one of, you know, people would do a lot for that job, obviously. That was a very, very hard to get position. It was a client that was highly desired to work for. Super fun client, too, by the way. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, what do you take home from that for people trying to get into the industry? Well, um, I mean, we kind of veered around in a, a strange path on that, but, um, one of the things that we were touching on that I think is really important that people overlook and even people that, you know, are working EP now, people try and avoid it like it's the plague, but like working in the bar and nightclub environment people hate it and i get it it sucks people don't like it it gets old fast but there is so many contacts that you have with people and you stay so busy with things um whether it's mitigating problems you know um negotiating peaceful resolutions or you're doing pat downs or you actually have to go hands-on it's you know it's a very active environment that gives you the opportunity to practice a lot of skill sets to learn new skill sets it is again one of the most pain in the butt jobs to take but it's one of those jobs that no matter where you are in your career in security, if you do it, you will walk away with something better. You will walk away having used skills that you haven't used in a long time. You'll walk away having learned new skills. I just learned that trick with the pat downs from you last weekend, I think, like four days ago when we were working that job. Which one? The, the, the uh, one where the you foot in the middle. Where, where you work the, <laughs> the, the, the the little vein on the bottom of the. No, uh, when you're patting down someone and you have them spread their legs a little bit as you do the pat down, uh, I always see you putting your lead foot in between their feet, which I had never seen ever, and I and I'm you know a lot more seasoned in the industry now, and I remember asking you you know what's the deal with that. And it was, well, if you're patting someone down and they start to make a move or they start to do something a little different, you already have the lead to just step into them and control which way they're going. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah. I mean, dude, I've, I've been in the field for six, seven, eight years now, and I'd never seen that before. And I've done my fair share of nightclubs. I've done my more than my fair share of pat downs. 
And, you know, you still, you know, you never stop learning in this industry. There's no, and that's not even a new thing either. It's just, you know, yeah. one day you see someone do something and it's a way better way than you've ever done it. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's basic science. It's leverage. Low man wins. Um, and it's one of those things that they teach you if you go to, um, if you go to a police academy and, you know, you go through the post classes, they, they teach you how to do it. If you go through like flat C classes, they teach you how to do it. But even though doing pat downs is a very common part of security work, it's not really something they touch on in your 40 hours. No, I don't. I've done, I mean, I've done my 40 hours. I've done a ton of research with my guard card. And I've, I actually go and do the classes. I, I love to go do them. I've done them at shitty places just to have a good laugh and see what, what it is they're teaching the, the bottom of the industry. And I've gone and done it at places that are a bit more pricey just to see what it is that I can learn. I've never seen that. I've heard them talk about pat-downs. I've heard them talk about what you can and can't do during pat-downs. But thinking on it right now, for me personally, anywhere I've been, I've never practiced pat-downs in a classroom. And that's, that's actually surprising to me. And that's something that, you know, there's a million different skills you need in this industry, soft skills, uh, you know, advanced work, things like that. But pat downs is not one of the things that I, I really I think we should definitely do some more uh, expansion on the pat down and kind of do some videos on that. Yeah, no, 100%. And again, the nightclub slash bar environment is a great place to practice it. That is the stomping grounds. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of repetitions. And, you know, you're going to, through the course of it, you're going to find new places that people hide stuff that you never would have thought to look before. And you just happen to, you know, stumble upon it this time. And now you're going to be on the lookout <clears throat> for it. I mean, me and you being the owners of a security company now, um, we still work in the field daily pretty much. Mm -hmm. And... I remember when I got early on in the industry, I never once saw an owner in the field, first of all. And I would see the most seasoned guys doing the shittiest pat-downs in the world. And they're just like, oh, waste. Waste in the back of the hood was the only place they were checking. And uh, I remember we did that, that high-risk event like two months ago. And I think it was something like, like 14 firearms <laughs> that we <laughs> caught from coming in. Oh man, yeah, that was that was insane to me, and it just—it's one of those things where, like, you know, people not doing pat downs right would have led in a ton of firearms to that event. Yeah, you just really got to be on top of your your basic skills. You know, a lot of people kind of forego them because they're like, I can shoot the wings off a fucking fly's ass, but I can't do a pat down and avoid the whole fucking shootout to begin with. Mm -hmm. So. Now, I would say that the important thing is stay a student for life. You know, always be trying to learn new things, always be trying to practice the old things, change it up a little bit. If you have the opportunity to work a job that you don't normally work, take it because you're probably going to learn something and you can apply that in other things that you do. Yeah, I mean, student for life is really the best way to put it. Um, I've never stopped learning in this industry and I know I'm still one of the, you know, less seasoned people. And they, even as much as I have a resume that I, I like to boast about because it does, you know, I look great on paper. 
Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that I do look better, especially this long in my career. I do look better than a lot of people in the industry, but there's just so much I don't know. And I, and I know that. And that's one of my strengths is that I'm willing to kind of learn more every day about it. And you do have those people that come into the industry or that are already in the industry that are just so in their ways and they refuse to change or learn new things. And those guys just get aged out pretty quick. They get, you know, rotated out. They, they make a fatal mistake and it costs hopefully not a life, but it costs a contract or it costs a detail. But, you know, if you're one of those guys that thinks, you know, everything and you were there when the wheel was invented, a lot it changes every day, you know, learning cybersecurity is the new one right now. You know, there's a bunch of mistakes that people are making on the cybersecurity side of it, social media, mm -hmm. things like that. And you got those old, older people in the industry that really refuse to acknowledge that. And, you know, it's a, it's a career ender for some people when you make that fatal of a mistake on that important of a contract. So really you can't have that attitude that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and, and do well or go far in this industry anymore. No, 100%. You got to stay learning. Every day is day one. You have to adapt. You have to be on your toes. You have to be open to new things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we definitely covered how we got into the industry and how we're still learning every day in the industry. Um, I mean, for me, that's really the biggest thing is, you know, stack up your resume as much as you can, get the experience that you can where you can. Um, there's really, you know, no such thing as a bad day learning, you know, very true. You, you, if you learn something, it's a good day as far as I'm concerned. Sure. But I will say this, as far as stacking resumes, there's a, there's a joke. I don't know if you've heard it. Well, what do you call someone who graduated last in their class in med school? Doctor. Doctor. <laughs> so, you know, you can stack your resume and that can help you get hired. But if all you're trying to do is stack that cert, you're not going to last. They're going to see through that facade day one. Uh, yeah. I mean, so it's a good way to, to break in. It's a good way to start out. It definitely doesn't hurt your chances when you look good. Um, but obviously with that stacked resume comes, you have to bring it every day. Yeah. You know, I, I came in with a half decent resume my first day and shit for skills. And that almost cost me a lot. You know, I almost didn't come back the second day. But, you know, my it's, willingness to work is really what. If you, get, if you get hired on as your team medic. And, you know, your team is counting on you to bring the medical portion. And, you know, you got the job because you had the EMT, you had the NIMS, you had the incident command. And then your client gets stung by a bee. So you take them to urgent care. My advice is don't bring <laughs> don't bring the gauze bag. Bring the med kit. Do you remember the gauze bag? Oh, I remember your gauze bag. I had a med kit that was ninety five percent gauze. Oh, okay. okay, so we we did an event. We're not going to get too deep into it, but uh, Will was going to run medical, and so I had my med bag. My med bag. I have, I have O two. I have ketamine. I have a crico. I have a crike kit. I AED. Got, yeah, AED nose hoses, uh, OPAs. I, I got everything. Like. I could build a human out of what I have in my med bag. And I asked Will, hey, you're med. You have a med bag? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll bring my med bag. He shows up. He's got a little, like, 
with like a like a like a it's mini like a four baby Jansport. It's, like ba- it's like a it's like a baby Jansport backpack, and it's just filled with rolled gauze. There was some four by fours in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, if you're gonna lie on your resume, <laughs> uh, and then you get called out on your lie, go buy a medkit. <laughs> well. It's been a great episode, guys. We thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.